0: He got into a boat. I love that Jesus keeps getting into a boat. How many of you have ever been in a boat? All right, great. Whether whether that was a motorized or a sailboat, right? There's just something special about being out on the water, about you just being out there, about feeling the waves lapping along the side of the boat, about being able to look at the land in a new perspective. You know, my father-in-law has got a boat. It's a 31-foot hunter sailboat. As a matter of fact, I think I have a picture of it. There he is. Now, for Michelle's and I's 15th wedding anniversary, we sailed to Catalina. It was amazing, it was amazing. First off, for somebody like myself whose life is constantly go, 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 and when you get into a sailboat, my father-in-law was like, there's the island. And for six hours, you sit there with absolutely nothing to do but relax, put your feet up into the wheel. That's how I steered the boat, just like that. Feet up into the wheel, and for six hours, it was just peace and tranquility. Here it was. There was Dolphin on the way out to Catalina, right by the side of the boat. We got out there and enjoyed. We went over to the isthmus and just enjoyed relaxation, some good meals, cooked a steak on the uh, bow of the ship. Got a little barbecue there and everything, ah, oh, wonderful, wonderful. On the way coming back, there was this pod of of, uh, of whales, you know, that we that we sailing back alongside of and everything. And I'll tell you, I have never been more at peace than spending those few days on that boat. We come back into the harbor, and uh, we have to clean up now, right and Father-in-law is an amazing man. He's like, no, 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 don't worry about it, guys. Hey, I got this. Take off. So we're like, you sure? Yeah, yeah, I got this. So truly a servant's heart. And as we leave, um, we head on and off. First stop, got to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> so I get myself a nice latte. Because it's from Redondo up here, right? It's a good almost two-hour drive. And sipping on my coffee, and I'm merging onto the 91. I said, I better go ahead. Get over to the uh, the carpool lane, and somebody cuts me off, almost sends me smack into the center divider, and I'm like, I can't believe this. I look at my watch, 19 minutes. It took somebody 19 minutes before they completely ruined my peace of mind. I was I, everything was wonderful, and the funny thing is. You know, lots of us have these fantasies, have these dreams that when we retire, we're going to buy this nice big RV and we're going to go see the country. Why do I want to deal with the same knuckleheads that almost send me into the center divider for the rest of my retirement? I don't know. I'm thinking sailboat, honey. I'm thinking sailboat, right? Nineteen minutes to ruin the peace that was granted that I had received from my father-in-law over the weekend. Now, normally in my flesh, I would have been like, oh, I hope you crash, you big stupid dummy. But you see, as Jesus continues to teach me, and as I mature in my spirituality, now I pray things like, Lord, do you see how foolish they're driving? If they keep driving like that, they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to hurt somebody else. Please, help them get to their destination safely. And that's what Jesus would want us to do for all of us to get to our destination safely. In Second Peter 3.9, his words say, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count it slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, that's not just those that are sitting here today but it's the drunkards that are out walking the streets. It's the husbands that are caught with the wives in adultery. It's the town gossip. It's the tax collectors and the sinners. Did I miss any of us? I don't think so. So the title of this message today is simply, don't forget the tax collectors and the sinners. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, as I Go ahead and rattle off a list. Lord, each and every one of our names are on that list. But Jesus, we have our faith and our trust in you. And as we read through your scriptures, Lord, as we read through your word, we can go ahead and glean so much from the model that you gave us, the examples set before us. And Lord, I know, I know when I look at myself, a lot of times I can go ahead and I can tend to think that maybe I'm above it all. Lord, maybe I'm better than those who don't know you. God, I never want to be like that. We never want to be like that. Lord, your word says that you wish that none should perish. So today, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us. Lord, that as we do delve into your scriptures, that truly you would just allow us, allow us just to get a little closer to you. Lord, if there's things inside of us that need to be changed, change them. And God, Lord, if there's anything that comes from man, Let it fall on deaf ears. But if it's of you, etch it upon our hearts. Jesus, you are so good. You do bless so abundantly. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting off in chapter 9, verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemies. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take your bed, go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office and said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So we start off in verse 1. So he got into a boat. Now, do you think there might have been just a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of fear from the disciples? Do you remember when Don spoke last chapter, right? What was it? There was a great storm, a great tempest that arose. Do you think maybe the disciples were looking at each other going, you get in the boat. I'm not getting in the boat. You get in the boat. Let's get Thomas. He'll get in the boat. And Thomas going, you know, it's such a beautiful day. I think I'll take a walk, you know. Pass off I I'd probably need the exercise after all of that demon pig herding stuff, you know. And it says he got into the boat and came to his own city. Now, wait a second. Capernaum, his own city, not Bethlehem, not Nazareth, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember that? Let's see what the scripture says. In Matthew four thirteen it says, And leaving Nazareth he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulon, and Naphtali." Matthew 8, 5, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. Matthew eleven twenty three. 23, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Sodom, it would remain until this day. Matthew 17, 24, when they had come to Capernaum, March, uh, excuse me, Mark 1, 21, they then went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath entered into this, the synagogue and taught. Matthew 2, 1. And again, he entered Capernaum. Matthew 9, 33. Then he came to Capernaum. Luke 4, 23. He said to them, surely I will say this proverb to me. Physicians, heal yourself. Whatever we heard done in Capernaum, do also in your country. Luke four thirty one. He said to them, surely, I'm uh, sorry. He went down to Capernaum. So do you think Jesus was in Capernaum a little bit? I used to love what Chuck uh, Smith would say. He called Capernaum Jesus' headquarters. I like that. Now, if you think about it, I I would consider Running Springs my own city. Yes, I live here, but I wasn't born here. I don't work here, but my family is here. And my church family is here. And that in itself is enough to make it my own. Now also if you remember where Don left off, in Matthew 8, 34, he said, Behold, the the whole city came out and met Jesus. And when they saw him, they rejoiced. Is that what happened? No, no. They begged him to depart from the region. Not exactly a celebration of casting out demons, was it? Right? After driving a few hundred swine into the sea and creating the first Bay of pig scandal, there was not really much welcome for him there. So he goes over to Capernaum. And in verse 2, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the, para- to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are Forgiven you so Jesus comes back to Capernaum and he heads over to this house now Matthew doesn't give us many details but if we turn in our Bibles over to Luke 5 chapter 17 don't worry I won't go through 15 verses again like I did last time Luke five seventeen, and it says now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out from every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men, on a bed brought, uh, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him, talking about Jesus, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd... They went on to the housetop and let him down in his bed through the tiling into the midst of Jesus. So you see, they didn't just bring him up to Jesus and present him. No, but look at all the work that these guys had to do in order to bring their paralytic friend before Jesus. Now, I can tell you. Hey, I have been on the end of a a fireman, chippy, you know, four-man litter carry when somebody goes over the side of a mountain, and carrying that person up and getting them to the ambulance, it's no easy task. So here it is. These four guys are carrying this one individual, and we don't know exactly how far they did, but think about the commitment that they had. They carry him all the way to Jesus, okay? They bring him down, and they're bringing him so that he would hear the truth, the truth in jesus so again they don't just carry him through the crowds but they get near to him and they see it's too crowded we can't make it to jesus so what do they do they just go oh well hey fred we tried (laughs) by the way uh paralytic in the greek means fred So they're like, sorry, Fred, okay? We tried, we're going home. No, they have the determination, they don't give up. They drive on, they go ahead and there must be a way. So with all the skill of a special forces group, they go ahead and they scout, go on up to the roof. Or for Eugene, uh, the Force Recon Marines, okay? They make it up to the roof. They get on up there, and what do they do? They go ahead and they pry the tiles apart so that they can lower their friend down in order to present them before Jesus. Now, every time that I read this part, I always think to myself, wonder what the owner of the house was thinking? Because I don't know about you, do you think maybe he was like, hey guys, that's my roof! But then he kind of looks over at Jesus and goes, Mercy and grace, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Do you ever wonder if the friends were like, That's it? We carried Fred all the way here, and now all he's going to do is just forgive his f- sins. That's it? No wonders, no miracles. Um, we were hoping for a little bit more. I would have been. First, you see, understand that here it is. The Jews believed that sickness and infirmities were because of a person's sins. Remember Job and his friends, right? I once gave a sermon and the title of it was Friends Like These Who Needs Enemies. They kept prompting him, they, must say, they kept saying, there must be some unconfessed sin, that's why you have these boils, that's why you've lost your family, your cattle, all of that. They kept going on and on, right? But what does Jesus do? He goes ahead and he doesn't go ahead and heal him directly, he says, your sins are forgiven. You see, outwardly, do they see any change within the man? No. But inwardly, the paralytic is a new man. But notice who does notice what he says. Verse 3. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemies. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For many say, uh, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and he departed to his house. You see, Jesus caught the leaders off guard. Now, the leaders might have been able to deny his ability or his right to go ahead and forgive this man's sins, but the outward physical healing, that couldn't be denied. It was far easier to say your sins are forgiven because there would have been no visible proof, no visible proof that the sins were forgiven. The healing of the paralytic, however, that was proof that the forgiveness of sins had occurred as well. Remember these two things. Number one, neither physical nor spiritual healing pose any difficulty for the Son of God. Number two, which is easier, physical healing or redemption from iniquity? You see, for Jesus to physically heal the man, the paralytic man, the only thing he had to do was speak a word. But to forgive him, he had to die. Verse eight, now when the multitude saw this, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Now, take note, my Bereans. Every time Jesus did a miracle, people who saw it glorified the Father. Jesus was able to move in such a way that when people saw his miracles, they praised God. That Reminds me of a little story. See, there was this man who was living in Taiwan And he was very much in love with a certain lady. He wrote her 700 flowery and lengthy letters in one year. 62 of those included proposals of marriage. Well, the letters worked. The lady did indeed get married. But not to him. She married the postman. (laughs) Now, when I read through that, I thought, you know, isn't that just like us? Here it is, the Father loves us and sends us good gifts to us, but we're so dumb we exalt the mailman instead of the author of the letters. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not equating Jesus to a mailman, okay? But if you're used by the Lord, people will either have a tendency to go ahead and unrealistically exalt you or rail on you radically. Trust me, as your interim pastor, I know. (laughs) I've experienced both. Our goal should be to do always, though, is what Jesus did. Turn all the attention and all the glory back to our heavenly Father. Verse 9. And Jesus passed from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose, and he followed him. You see, a lot of times we get caught up with ourselves We say, I can't minister to that person. I wouldn't even know what to say to them. Jesus didn't go into some big intellectual or scientific explanation of the gospel, did he? He just said two simple words. Follow me. Remember, if someone can be talked into following Jesus, they can be talked out of it too. Follow me, Matthew. I'll take you. Others might spit on you, turn their backs on you, avoid you, but I'm willing to work with you and work in you. Luke's gospel tells us that Matthew arose and left all to follow Jesus. Do you remember last week in 821, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But then Jesus says to him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. You see, Jesus wasn't being harsh here. No, he knew this man's heart. He knew that it wasn't just a funeral that he had to take care of, but it was his father's belongings. It was his father's inheritance. He wanted to take care of all of those things first and then go ahead and follow Jesus. So what ends up happening? The man walks away. However, look at Matthew. He drops everything. And it says, he arose and followed him. Now, I don't know each and every one of you in the room intimately, and I don't know what you brought here today. I don't know your struggles, but I do know the Bible, and I know that it is the inerrant word of God. I know that if we follow the scriptures, the words of Jesus, we will have the gift of eternal life with him, eternity with him. No pain, no suffering, Like the paralytic, you can be of good cheer for your sins are forgiven. Do you want that today? Do you want that right now? I'd like to take a page out of Don's book, if I may. Let's all bow our heads and pray because I feel it. I feel it right here and now. Dear Jesus, we're going through your word And we come to the point to where, here it is, you call Matthew. God, you said two very simple words. Follow me. Follow me. Dear Jesus, I I, I feel it. I just feel it in my heart right now. And Lord, if there's somebody sitting right here within this sanctuary, somebody who feels that stirring, somebody who feels uncomfortable, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. Obey what God is telling you. You did not just come here on accident. You didn't just come here in order to hear some nice words from some crazy guy up front. But Lord, you brought them here. You brought them here. And God, you want their fellowship We started, Lord, with saying that you wish that none should perish. So God, I just pray. I pray right here, right now. Lord, if there are somebody, somebody here within this sanctuary, within your house, that hears your word, let them follow you. So God, I put out that call right now. I put out that call if that's you. If you feel God stirring upon your heart, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging upon your heartstrings, I pray. Lift up your eyes. Lift them up to me right now. God bless you. Put your head back down once our eyes meet. It's an opportunity for you to go ahead to be with Him, our heavenly Father, forever. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Make that commitment in your heart. And Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness, Lord, just as you heal the paralytic. Lord, heal us too. Lord, as I have the opportunity, just have eyes meet. Lord, there are those that have made that decision here today to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. There's a few more for your kingdom. And that's what we want to do. We want to enter into your kingdom, Lord. We want to know that we did our best for you. We want to know that we're following you. So, Lord, please come and dwell. In their hearts. Come and dwell in their hearts now and forever. Change them. Change them, Lord Jesus. And it's in His precious name that we pray. Amen. Guys, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. Those of you that made that decision, those of you that our eyes met, tell somebody here today don't leave this place. Don't leave this place without letting me know, letting one of your pastors, letting somebody that you're sitting next to know. That is amazing. That is amazing. God is so good. Amen? Amen. 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 So let's pick it back up in verse 10. Now it happened. As Jesus sat at the table in the house, then behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with with, with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw that, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I have a loaf of bread here on the table in front of us today. And remember, Jesus broke it, and he said, take this, for this is my body, which will be broken for you. And it was a representation of his body. And we sit here, and when we dine together, we come together, and we break bread, and we enjoy that bread together. Now, because we take a, a loaf of bread, and we hold it out, and as somebody takes the bread, and they grab a piece off of it, and you start eating it, here it is. See, both of us are eating the bread from that same loaf it's being assimilated into my body and becoming part of my body. And thus, it's being assimilated into my wife's body as well. And in a mystical way, we're becoming part of each other. I'm becoming one with you because the bread that is nourishing me, that is becoming part of me, is also nourishing and becoming part of you. So you would never want to go ahead and eat with someone unless you wanted to be identified with that person. That was the culture that they lived in at that time. And you would become one with them. So that is why these Pharisees were so shocked that Jesus would eat with sinners and with tax collectors. You mean he would become one with sinners? You would identify with sinners? Yes. He would identify with the sinners in order that he might identify, they might identify with him and receive his power and his forgiveness. And so they came to the disciples and questioned him. You know, I had a friend of mine one time that said the church is like a hospital. It's filled with sick people. And this was a true realization for me, an understanding for me, and I hope that it'll be an understanding for you as well. Because when that person goes out and they gossip about you, you can understand, it's because they're sick. When that person goes ahead and hurts your feelings, know that they're going to, because they are sick. When that person takes advantage of your generosity, maybe they borrow some money from you and they don't pay you back, know that they're going to because they are sick. They need to be here in church. You need to be here in church. You know, Pastor Jeff always used to say, whenever you find or if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up. (laughs) How true. How true. You see, is it important to fellowship with other Christians? Yes. Yes, it is. But don't forget about the tax collectors and the sinners. They're not just someone else. They're all of us in this room. Amen? Verse 12. Then Jesus heard that and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. There are none righteous, but the Lord. And he says, I am coming particularly to those who recognize their need, to those tax collectors, those prostitutes, those sinners, and the street people. And you know, I wonder if today as a church, We're still like that. I wonder if the church, which should be representing Jesus, is now comfortable with the religious people, is comfortable with turning away sinners, the street people, the common folk. Jesus said, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your mercy, your compassion, your concern for everyone I hope that unbelievers relate well to each and every one of you. That they don't look at you as being holier than thou. I hope that people enjoy your company because you represent life and joy and that there's a quality about you that attracts them to you. Believers and sinners alike. This is true of Jesus and such was true of the Matthew parties where people would open their hearts open their homes saying I want you to be exposed to the one who's changed me verse 14 then the disciples of John that's John the Baptist came to him saying why do we and the Pharisees fast often but your disciples do not fast now I'd like to talk just a little bit about fasting you see We get the word here from the Hebrew word sum, which means to cover, as in your mouth, and from the Greek word nuestro, meaning to abstain. And for spiritual purposes, it means going without eating or drinking. And if you go ahead and if you read Esther 4.16, you'll see it right there. Now, we touched on it a little bit earlier when we were going through Matthew, and Jesus tells his disciples not to fast as the Pharisees do. Do you remember how they did it? They wouldn't comb their hair. They'd put on the sackcloth. They'd be all ooh, walking around in the streets. And everybody would be like, oh, they're righteous. They're holy. They're fasting. I can tell. Right? Yeah, but Jesus tells us not to do that. Instead, he says, he says, put oil on your hair. Put it on your head. Wash your face. But why do we fast? Well, first, it should be done in conjunction with prayer. We fast to help with clarity. See, if we have a question of God or a decision to make, fasting may help in receiving the answer. God wants us to draw near to Him. By fasting, we realize that we're not self sufficient. Fasting helps us to depend on God. When combined with prayer, we draw closer to God. I had it explained to me like this each time that you get a hunger pang, each time that you're thinking about food, you should start praying. And basically, what we're looking at here is like a bodily alarm clock reminding you spiritually, wake up, get moving again, get praying again. Remember, it's not if you fast, but when you fast. So fast, you just might get a few answers from the Lord and drop a pound or two. So John's disciples ask him, why aren't your disciples fasting, Jesus? And what does Jesus say? In verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a piece of unshrunken clothing on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put old wine into new wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. You see, Jesus starts off with giving the picture of marriage in order to illustrate God's relationship with Israel. In referring to himself as the bridegroom, Jesus was deci- describing himself as the Messiah. He's already pre-warning his disciples and prophesizing of the violent death of our Lord would experience. In verse 16, he goes ahead and he describes the unshrunken clothing or garment as it were as if we were to take a new piece of denim and to put it on an old pair of Levi's. Because when we wash them, it won't hold. The cloth will shrink the stitching will rip and a hole will get even bigger where you were trying to patch it. And in verse 17, he uses the analogy of the wineskins, which are hard and rigid. They aren't flexible like new ones. Therefore, it would be foolish to put new wine into old wineskins because as the wine ferments, the wineskins would burst. Now, wine is a symbol of the spirit, and I believe the Lord continuously pours new wine into us. No, Pastor Adam is not telling you to go out and get drunk on wine tonight. I want to make that perfectly clear. But you see, the problem is, it's the old structures. It's the old traditions that can't contain it. Therefore, it seems as though the Lord raises up new wineskins in every generation, new vessels to hold the new work of the Spirit. You know, Jesus gives us these examples of wineskins and, uh, and clothes. But, you know, same thing applies to today and like with all of our technology. When I was in the Army, uh, we started off and some of the radio gear that we use. It was still World War II radios. Okay? Yeah. Talk about being frugal with certain things. <laughs> and about four years later, finally the military was like, hey, we're going to get you guys all brand new radios. Your communication is very important to us. What what do you think they did? Did they get some new equipment? Sure. And they integrated it with the 1960s technology. We always had problems with that stuff. It never worked. But the entirely brand new systems that was completely devoid of the old stuff, it worked just fine. You see, do you remember Jesus when Nicodemus came to him? we're going to kind of wrap up with this. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter three and verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, Of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you see, I've got set up here in front of us. Here's a cup, and it's filled with all the stuff of the world. Now, when God tries to take his spirit and pour it into us, what is it that happens? Can it be used? No. But, if we're emptied first, if we're made new, then he can go ahead, pour his spirit into us, pour his spirit into each and every one of us. But we have to get rid of the old man first. We have to get rid of the old self first. And then, he can go ahead and fill us with his spirit. You don't know how bad I need. Oh. It's a beautiful thing when we can go ahead and we can get rid of the old man, cast him off, be born again, be filled with His holy Spirit. the fact that Jesus comes to each and every one of us, be forgiven of your sins. Be healed. Pick up your bed. Go to your house. And don't forget the tax collectors and the sinners. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so very much for the opportunity just to come before you. God, to be able to be used of you. As empty vessels, Lord, I pray that each and every day that you would continue to fill us. Continue to pour out your spirit upon us. And not so much just in us, but, Lord, overflowing so that it reaches out to all of those that we come in contact with, both sinner and saved. God, use us. Use us in a mighty way. Lord, I see the sign of the times. Lord, I can see the fact that there are those leaves on the fig tree. Lord, our time here on earth is short. So, God, let us be mighty. Use us. Use us to call those. And as your word says, that you would wish none to perish. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And it is in his precious name that we pray.